Good morning. That was pretty good. Uh, clearly, I'm not James. You guys all, if you were here last week, saw who James really is, right? Uh, it's, uh, you guys must not have been here to see who James really was. Um, if, uh, if you don't remember, James is not here today. He's actually uh, out, of, out of the country uh, with a lot of the other staff from Westridge. He is in uh, Burkina Faso uh, doing a vision trip for Compassion International. So be in prayer for those guys. I think they actually begin their trip home tomorrow and I think they'll actually be back here on, uh, on uh, Tuesday. So anyway, my name's Nick. Uh, if, if I haven't been here very long, so a lot of you guys might not know me. Um, I am new to Westridge. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for the opportunity. Uh, so I'm just going to jump right into uh, our new series, which is called Out of the Box. And I kind of want to just preface it a little bit by saying I'm not a real out-of-the-box type guy. Um, I, I don't view myself that way. Uh, I was sitting in an interview uh, with uh, Troy Page, who's actually speaking at the East Campus today, uh, when, I, when I came up here. Uh, and we're sitting across the table at Starbucks, and him and James are just kind of asking me all these questions. And uh, in somewhere in our conversation, Troy said, so you're an out-of-the-box type of guy. And I kid you not, this was my response. I've never really saw myself that way. I've never seen myself that way. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm an out-of-the-box kind of guy. But evidently, uh, there's some things that I said that maybe... Maybe I am and I don't realize it, but I'm that guy that sits in a meeting and I think I have a good idea and I've learned now not to share my ideas because when I do, people look at me like, what are you talking about, dude? And, and I just kind of, I've learned not to really share my ideas a lot uh, because sometimes when I think I'm, I'm like being clever or creative, I'm really just not. So um, that's not me, but we're going to talk about Jesus over the next several weeks and how Jesus was an out-of-the-box kind of guy. Um, if, you, if, if, if you're familiar with who Jesus was, and I'm not, I don't want to make any assumptions about your, your connection to Jesus, but Jesus uh, started very early in his ministry teaching things that were very out of the box. If you go to Matthew chapter 5, uh, and I, you don't have to go there, but if you look in Matthew chapter 5, you see this message that he preaches known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts out with these sayings called the Beatitudes. And, and, and his teachings literally were like, blessed are the poor in spirit. So he's like telling these people, hey, you're going to be happy when you're poor. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, blessed are, are those who are persecuted. He says these things. He goes on later in his ministry to teach that if somebody hits you, turn the other cheek, right? Uh, he said, if, if somebody you know, says evil about you, return it with kindness. Yeah, like, you start to get the idea. Jesus was a guy that taught out of the box. And so when he taught these things, people often looked at him and they were just like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, where, where are you coming from? The, the Old Testament says an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth. That's what, the, that's what we were taught by our, by our fathers. And Jesus says, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. If somebody, if somebody hits you, you turn the other cheek. If, somebody, if, if a Roman soldier commands you to walk with him, walk an extra mile. If somebody asks you for your tunic, give them, give them both of yours. So Jesus was this guy that taught in ways that were far far outside of the, of the normal realm of thinking for where these people were. And, and here's the thing, that's even far outside the realm of where we think. Um, I, I don't know about you, uh, I know everybody kind of has different personality traits and things. I, I'm kind of uh, a, a temperamental guy sometimes, like I, I, can, I can blow up easily, uh, kind of like James. James and I have known each other for a very long time, we've played a lot of sports together. Um, we've probably both like had to hold the other back from the other team 
at different times. Like we're both kind of temperamental guys. And so, but Jesus' teaching goes far, far against that mentality, right? He's an out-of-the-box kind of guy. And so over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be looking at the I am statements of Jesus, where throughout Scripture, he makes the statements, I am something else. And today we're looking at the statement where he says, I am the bread of life. And in John chapter 8, verse 56, which is actually post the passage we're looking at this morning, the the religious people, and we're going to come back to it, the religious people are kind of arguing back and forth with Jesus. and, And he says to them, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And if you look in your scripture in John chapter 8, verse 56, and if you have your Bibles or or your apps or whatever, you can go ahead and get them out. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. But Jesus, when he says that, the words are in all caps, I am. And that's because he's literally using the same phrase that God used when he spoke to Moses in the Old Testament when he says, who should I tell them sent me? You guys, if you don't know the story, what happened is, is Israel was, was captive in Egypt and, and God wanted to free his people. So he called on this guy named Moses and he spoke to him through a burning bush. And, and Moses said, he, he told Moses, he said, hey, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, well, they're not going to listen to me unless I give them a name. And so he says, who sent you? Who, who, who should I tell him sent me? And God said, tell him that I am sent you. And that word just meant I have been here I will always be here. I am here now. I'm the self-existent one. It was a phrase that literally God was telling Moses, he is God. And so in, in John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus uses the same phrase. He's literally calling himself God. And so as we begin this series, just kind of keep in the back of your minds that Jesus was a guy that taught out of the box. And so to look at kind of his out-of-the-box teachings, we kind of have to look at the boxes that we put him in, right? I was going to bring some boxes up on stage with me, and I was like, nah, it's my first time. I'll be, like, tripping over stuff, and I'll just, I'll just look really goofy in trying to do that. So maybe next time I'll have some cool illustration. But I was going to kind of bring these boxes that were labeled, and I'll just, I'll, I'll throw out a few. Um, we have, like, the disaster relief box that we put Jesus in. You guys know what I'm talking about? That, that box that when, when life just literally comes crashing down, we haven't prayed in, like, six months like, like genuinely prayed. We haven't been on our knees. We haven't, we haven't been in his word. You know, we've been just living life. We might pray before we eat or do those things, but all of a sudden life comes crashing down and, and all of a sudden we want Jesus to be a major part of our lives. He's kind of that disaster relief part. And, and we, we, we have the, the good teacher box. And this is one that we see a lot of in, in the New Testament. We, we see people come to Jesus and they say, say things like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, Jesus, as, as he so often does, he gives the people the opportunity to confess who he is. And with the rich young ruler, he says, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. It's like he's saying, hey, listen, I know the answer to this. If you just say it, then I'll know that you believe. And he doesn't. So Jesus just goes on and he says, listen, um, you know, this is what you have to do. And, and the guy says, I've kept all the commandments. And you know, Jesus, knowing that he hadn't, he just well, go sell everything you have because he knew where his heart really was. And it says the guy went away sorrowful. But we have that kind of that good teacher mentality. We think that Jesus gave some great guidelines to live by, but we don't want it to impose too much in our life. You guys know where I'm talking about? So that's kind of what we see um, a lot of in our culture. So as we open the scriptures this morning, again, we're going to be in John chapter 6. I just kind of want to preface what's going on before we get to our text, which starts in verse uh, 26, is 
uh, Jesus has, has, has come to, uh, he's gone across the Sea of Galilee, and, and these people follow him. He's got this great multitude. We know uh, because of the story that there's at least 5,000 men. All right? There's probably women and children too, so the number is probably closer to ten or 15,000, maybe even more. But all these people follow Jesus, and so he, he gets there and he says, hey, we need to feed these people. And one of the disciples says, hey, we don't have enough money to buy bread. And, and Jesus said, hey, you give them something to eat. And, and he's like, hey, we, you know, we don't have money. And, and then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, well, there's this kid here. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish. But surely that's really not going to be even close to enough to feed these thousands of people, right? And Jesus, I, I feel like he, he kind of does this. Uh, and, and again, this is me kind of just taking a little bit of liberty here. I, I feel like he probably just goes, you guys still don't get it. Give it, give it to me. Give it to me. Let me just, let me just do this. So I've got to do it myself. I'll do it. And so he, he starts, he gives thanks for the bread and he starts just distributing it, right? And all these people are getting their fill and they're eating until they're full. And then after they're all said and done, he says, hey, go, go gather up the rest of it so that nothing goes to waste. And they get t- uh, 12 baskets, 12 baskets full of leftovers. And so in John chapter 6, this is what's happened in the very first part of the chapter. Jesus has just fed all these people, and they're following him. And this is where I kind of want to tell you, if you're taking notes, you can write this stuff down just so you could go back and look at it and say, hey, is this where I'm at, or have I been here? But we have this box called the entertainment box. We have this box called the entertainment box. And here's, here's what we see in John chapter 6, verse 2. And then after this, I'm going to skip down, way far down. <clears throat> He, it says, a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So here's, here's where we're at. We've got these thousands of people, okay, and they're following Jesus. He feeds them. And I, I didn't finish the story. What happens is the disciples get into a boat and they go across the lake and Jesus stays. He doesn't get into the boat. But later on, right after he feeds the 5,000, we know that he goes and walks on the sea. If you don't have your Bibles, that's in John chapter 6 as well, in verse 15. He walks on the sea, he gets in the boat with his disciples, and he's on the other side of the lake. And so the next morning, these people come down, and they're looking for Jesus. And they, they, they don't find him, and so they get in their boats, and they, they, actually, there's some other people with, that have come up to the shore with their boats, and they just all get in, into these boats, and they go across the lake, and they're looking for Jesus, <clears throat> And they had followed him because they saw the signs which he performed. And they're following Jesus to see the next big cool thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, let me compare that to our modern day lives. Um, I like to think that Westridge is, is, a, is a pretty cool place, okay? I, I love it here. But have you guys ever met those people that they, like, they, never, they don't stay in one church for longer than like six months, maybe a year? They're constantly looking for the next big thing. Like there's, there's people that, that's how they are. They're looking for that entertainment, that next, that next big impact thing that they can get fired up about, that cause maybe that they can get fired up about. And they'll go, and listen, I'm not knocking churches. I mean, I love it that churches are innovative, that churches are passionate about being on the forward side of, of things and, and really trying to impact culture and doing great things. But at the same time, people oftentimes are in these places not looking for, for Jesus, but they're looking for the next big thing, that next exciting thing, the greatest sound system, the greatest light show, the greatest um, you know, worship band uh, singer, the greatest speaker and teacher. Like They're just looking for something specific other than just the Bible, other than just the Word of God. 
and, and, and a passionate mission for lost people, which is why we should be here, right? We should be here because we love Jesus and because we want to be on mission for Jesus and, and be in this world, reaching the lost, going out to those that are far from God and trying to bring them in here. That's, that's why we're here. We're here to be filled so that we can pour out. But that entertainment box is kind of that box we put Jesus in. And it's really not necessarily just Jesus, but we, we make it a, a Jesus box. And, and so it's, it's really all about just kind of filling our cup and getting what we want. But there's really no pouring back out necessarily when that's the case. And it said they, you know, they followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were deceased. Or diseased, not deceased. There might have been some deceased people. Um, I said that earlier, actually, uh, when I was just going through this in my head. Um, and so the next box that we get to, and then this is kind of like a, a progression here, right? And, and I think that a lot of times our lives p- put Jesus in these boxes in the same progression. So the next thing we see is the genie box. You guys know what I'm talking about? That genie, that lamp. We just rub the lamp and then out pops our genie and we say, hey, I need this, right? It's kind of like the disaster relief box, but it's not only confined to things that are, that are terrible and, and tough in our life. That, that, the genie box is the one... <clears throat> where, we, where we go and we say, hey, Jesus, I, I want this and I want it now. And, and I'll tell you, I, I've, I've battled this mentality since I've been here because if you don't know, my wife and I are looking for a house and you know this, this is the time to buy, right? Everybody keeps saying the market's great for buying, but at the same time, we're trying to be financially savvy. But I'm like, God, can't you just provide like everything I want at the right price? And, and he just hasn't done that yet, and he may not, and I'm going to have to be okay with that because he's not my genie in a box, right? I'm going to have to stop, and I'm going to have to say, hey, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me through this? Am I being selfish? And I've had this conversation with some people, with my wife and with some other people, and I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to put Jesus in this genie box. I don't want to be like, hey, you have to give me what I want because I'm asking you for it. That's not who he is. And we see this in the scripture if we move on down in John chapter 6, 26 to 27. He says, most, assur- most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. And when he says not because you saw the signs, let me just pause for a second. He's not talking about the sign of the miracle of feeding the 5,000. He's saying you seek me not because you saw the signs that I am God. You seek me not because you realize who I am, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled Do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And here's the deal. These people, these Jewish people that were following Jesus, were only concerned with their immediate need. They were were wanting to see the next big thing, and they knew that Jesus had just fed them when there was nobody else to feed them. And so they're following Jesus because he gave them food. He says, look, you, you were filled. But I'm telling you, don't just look for food that fills your belly, but look for food that fills your soul and fills your heart. And he calls them out on their attempt to confine him to just some genie in a bottle that gives them what they want, when they want it, how they want it. He's not just into meeting the physical needs, and he realizes their deepest need, which is their spiritual health. And he, he points directly to it. Now, I, I want to kind of... I want to kind of um, back up for just a second because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here about these different boxes. Jesus does do a lot of these things in our lives. Jesus 
meets our physical needs. Jesus meets our needs when there's grief in our lives and when there's disaster falling down on us. Jesus meets our needs when, when we want something great at times. But it's not his number one concern. Jesus' number one concern isn't that I get what I want or even that I'm comforted the way that I want to be comforted when times are tough. Jesus' biggest concern, and this might come as a shock, Jesus' biggest concern is that he gets the glory in our life. So his biggest concern is that when I'm in need or when I'm facing disaster or when he's blessing me beyond what, what I could ever expect, that I point back to him with my response. His biggest, his biggest concern with my life is that when he meets those needs, I point back to him with my response. But this is what happens, <coughs> excuse me, when Jesus confronts their genie in a box uh, mentality or genie in a bottle mentality. He, he goes on to the next thing and he, and he confronts their spiritual need. And this is what the Jews do. They get religious. So then they kind of throw Jesus into this religion box. And we all know, I would, I would assume a lot of us know about this religion box because I'd, I've been there, I know most of us have probably been there and this is that box where we start trying to, tr- trying to make ourselves sound more spiritual than we are. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we've, we've been there, I, I, I don't know, I, I have been. I don't wanna make any assumptions. I've been there, okay? I've been in this place, I've, I've been at a place where I just, I felt like I needed to sound more spiritual than I really was at the time because for whatever reason I couldn't just step back out and out of the spotlight and just say, you know what, I'm, I'm not that person right now and I just really need forgiveness and I really need um, grace and, and I really just need uh, to, to kind of shut down the engines and recharge my batteries. And, and, um, but, but we don't do that, right? We, a lot of times when somebody, when somebody comes to us and points out our flaws, we try to get real religious with them. If you, go, if you look in Scripture and you go back just a couple of chapters, and actually James taught on this a few weeks ago, the woman at the well, she does the same thing. It's kind of like this, this spiraling pattern that people do, right? And they, and they get real religious. So all of a sudden, when Jesus confronts their need, these people bring up what they can do to become like God. Check this out. He says uh, in John chapter 6, verse 28, he says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? Now let's just stop there for a second. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people or more with five loaves and two fish, Right? Like they, they saw that, they experienced it, and Jesus even confronted that. He said, look, you, you following me not because you saw the signs that I am God, but because you ate and were filled. Like he's already pointed that out, and like three verses later, the people are asking him, what sign will you give? What will you perform? The word that they use there, perform, what will you perform so that we may believe? I, like this is one of those moments again where I'm, I think Jesus is probably just like, are you kidding? Like... He does the James thing. Are you kidding? You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's, like, I really, I really believe, and it's funny. I'll just make a confession. Um, <clears throat> I love going back and watching the gospel movies. Like, there's a gospel of Matthew and a gospel of John. I think there's some other ones. Because, and it's kind of funny, because usually Jesus is portrayed by some, like, white guy with blue eyes. Just not, that doesn't fit the picture, uh, more than likely. But um, it's, 
I go back and I watch these because there's just something about watching, and it's just word for word, the scripture quoted, and there's just something about watching like these actors interact, right? And like, I love the Gospel of John, the movie, because you see Jesus um, really kind of show compassion to people when they're, when they're just acting crazy. But I watched this little section. I, I pulled up the, this little section of the video to, to watch kind of the interaction. I'm not sure how accurate it was or not, but Jesus was really, really compassionate in the movie here. And I'm sure he was very, very compassionate in real life, but I genuinely believe there's times when Jesus wanted to pull the hair out of his head. Like, are you guys just, how can you be so just blind how do you not see what you're asking me to perform for you a sign I just fed you like I've I've done I turned water into wine I've 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 uh, <clears throat> you know I've done so many other things I've healed all these sick people I don't know if at this point he had raised anybody from the dead but I you know I've done all these things and for whatever reason you're still asking me to perform just one more sign right like you're like you're going to get it from one more sign and he goes on <clears throat> They say, what work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And, and so not only do they ask him to perform another sign and ask him what works they can do to basically perform the works of God, then they get really, really spiritual and they go and they point out the Old Testament. Hey, our fathers ate the manna from heaven. Yeah, like that'll get him. You're, you're quoting to him his own word, right? Like the, and so... I just want to, I want to say again, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here in my thoughts because I believe that the religion box that we can put Jesus in is probably one of the most frustrating boxes for him as he looks at our life. I think he's the most offended by the fact that we try to fake him out into thinking we're more spiritual than we are. And I think it happened probably in that point too in time. I think Jesus was probably frustrated. And, and um, you know, yes, Jesus was always compassionate. Yes, Jesus was always loving. But at the same time, I've got to think that he's going, who do you think you are? And why don't you know who I am? And so it goes on and it says, <clears throat> Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here's what we have going on here. Jesus is probably um, just, I, I, again, I just, in my mind, I think Jesus is at this point where he's going, do I really have to keep going with these people? Like, you ha have you ever been there with somebody? <laughs> like somebody just wants to, they just want to argue or they just want to like keep talking and, and dragging stuff out. And you're like, listen, I've already given you the answer. Like this happens in my house a lot. Like, Laura and I will, you know, we'll have this conversation, and it's like we go over the same stuff time and time and time again, and both of us at the end are like, do we really have to keep talking about this? Like, and I think Jesus might have been there at this point. He's challenging them, so he brings out like this, just, just this big confrontation to these people. Okay, he's just going to shatter this box up there, and he's going to tear it apart, and, he's, and he brings up this, this idea. He says, listen, Moses did not give your father's bread from heaven. Now, you may not know a whole lot about like, culture in and, and the Old Testament and Scripture, um, so I just want to kind of make, make this point. Jesus is literally confronting the way they had believed for their entire life and for generation after generation after generation of what they believed. They had attributed the manna that came down, and manna was just this 
food that fell from the sky when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness. And they ate it so they didn't starve to death. And they attributed that to Moses. And Jesus says, listen, Moses didn't give you that. There was nothing supernatural about Moses other than that he had God on his side. The true bread from heaven is the one that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here's where I think Jesus is really, really frustrated, if, if I can say that. It's because he came to die. He came to give his life for the, for the life of the lost person, which is every other person who's ever been born on the face of the planet. He literally came to die, and they're asking him this question, what works can we do to get to God? I mean, that's like, that's like somebody giving you the greatest gift you can ever imagine, and then you go and, eh, what else you got? And so, like, with, I, I think justifiably so, there might have been a little frustration or a little just kind of, maybe even some sarcasm. I don't, I don't know. But he's confronting that re- religiosity of the people. He's saying, listen, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. God caused the manna to fall down. But the bread from heaven is he who comes and gives life to the world. He's giving them the opportunity once again to acknowledge who he is. <clears throat> and then Jesus often teaches in ways that relate to our most basic and essential needs, right? So this is what Jesus said. He said, they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus uses our most basic need of hunger and thirst And he refers to himself as the bread of life. And he says, listen, if anybody comes to me, he will never hunger and he will never thirst. Really, really similar conversation that he had with the woman in John chapter 4 where he says, listen, if you would have just asked me, I would have given you water, the living water, that you'd never thirst again. And very much like the woman in John chapter 4, she didn't get it and neither did the Jews right here. But Jesus nonetheless confronts their most basic and essential need of hunger to teach a lesson on who he was. And I love how Augustine says this quote. And, and he, here, here's the deal. Jesus is, Jesus is confronting or, or acknowledging the fact that our greatest need is him. And he is the only thing that can fill that greatest need. And this is how Augustine says it. He says, thou has made us for, thy, for thyself and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Now, here's, here's what he's saying. He's like, we are created for God. We're created in the image of God. We're all created for God. And believe it or not, and, and, and you may not acknowledge this. I don't know where you stand today, like in your heart, if you, if you trust Jesus as your Savior. We're going to get to that in just a second. I, I don't know if that's where you're at. But I can tell you this. You were created for God. And there is, a, there is a gaping hole in your heart or your soul apart from him. And you may not recognize it. You may fill it with anything and everything that you can possibly think of to try to satisfy yourself. But in the end, the only thing that can truly satisfy that desire, that hole in our soul, in our, in our heart, is Jesus. And that's what he's giving them here. He's saying, listen, I am the bread of life. If you, 
if you eat this bread, you will never be hungry and you will never thirst. And of course he's not talking about their physical need of hunger and thirst. He's talking about their spiritual need. He's talking about that, that need to fill that hole, that desire. And people back then were no different than we are today. Their methods might have been different. Their, their objects might have been different. But they looked for the same stuff we looked. They struggled with the same things we struggled. Their culture was just, went about it in a different way. People weren't different. They still had the same need and they still tried to fill it with worldly things. And Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The manna in the Old Testament wasn't the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He shatters their idea of any box with the statement because he's using the same language that God used when he spoke to Moses in the burning bush that he is literally telling them, I am the same one that spoke to Moses. And that's how this conversation progresses for another two chapters. And that's why Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 56 says to them, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Because these people were so concerned with the Old Testament, with the law, not to take away from the Old Testament, not to take away from the law because we can, we can gather from it. It is Christ being told all throughout Scripture. But these people just weren't getting it. And so he's going to go ahead and respond to what they're saying. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to just come out and tell you I'm just gonna, I just throw it out there because you're concerned about Moses. Do you remember the one that talked to Moses in the burning bush? That's me. He confronts directly who he is because Jesus is always pointing to his saving grace so that he can bring glory to the Father. And his message never changes and it's never different. So I have one point for you this morning. Like these were just illustrations. I have one point. And that is this, that Jesus is far too big to fit into any box that you or I can put him in. He is far too big to fit into any box because here's the thing. What happens with our lives is we have compartmentalized each and every portion of our life so much that we've done the same to Jesus because we've taken our hearts, we said, all right, well, this is, this is my work life, this is my home life, this is my church life, and this is my, my recreational life. And we have all these compartments in our life. And for whatever reason, I really feel like we've only tried to fit Jesus into that church part of our heart. And that may not be you. I may not be speaking to you. But I'm speaking to myself, okay? I'll just go ahead and throw that out there because it's something that I think we all battle. I don't think, you know, the guys that are up here, nobody's immune to this. We've compartmentalized our hearts so much that we try to fit Jesus just into that little section. And into that little section of our church life or religious life, we might, we might have some, some of those other boxes, kind of sub-boxes in there. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I don't want a section of your heart in your life. I don't want just a piece of who you are. I want everything. I want every bit of it. When you look at this text and, and how Jesus is, is, is presenting the idea of hungering and thirsting, he does it in a way that really the only logical conclusion was to come back to the fact that he is the only thing that can satisfy that hole, that desire in our heart and can give us rest instead of a restlessness to always 
try to do everything. And like I said earlier, he can provide. He does provide. He is our provider. He's our healer. He's our counselor. He's our, he's our grief therapist. He's, he's, he's the giver of good things. He is the good teacher. But he's so much more than just those things. Those things are part of who Jesus is, but they do not define him. He is the only one that can satisfy all of our needs. And here's what happens. Every time Jesus confronts these boxes, which he does several times in Scripture, people tend to walk away because they don't want to to consider the fact that they should give Jesus every single bit of who they are. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Living sacrifices. Every single bit of who you are belongs to Jesus because he purchased it with his death. And we see, in it, moving on down in John chapter 6 a little bit further, we see that Jesus in verse 66 a lot of people turn, turn away from it. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall I go? Or to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Many, many people turned away and walked with Jesus no more because of the teachings that he gave. I didn't complete the entire conversation that went that took place he goes on and he basically says listen unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no place in the kingdom of god and that sounds really really crazy it's real similar to the time when he said listen if anyone wants to come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me at that point people left too because jesus was telling them hey listen if you really want to follow me it's going to cost you Everything, And he wasn't literally talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. In John chapter 1, verse 14, this is what we see. It's talking about the birth of Jesus, and it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is making reference to the words of life. Peter says to him in that passage, he said, uh, We have come to believe in, I'm sorry, Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus is saying, listen, to speak in a metaphor that we kind of recognize today, this is hard to swallow, but you have to take every bit of who I am. You have to believe on every aspect of who I am. I am the savior of the world because I came not to just be a good teacher, not to just be a genie in a lamp, not to just be your entertainer. I came to be your God. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. I just wanna, I just wanna speak openly for a minute to where you are individually today. You know, maybe, maybe you're in here and, and you're real familiar with the church scene and you've trusted Jesus. And if that's you, I would just simply ask you to just pray and say, you know, God, would you just, would you just confront me with anything that maybe I have in my life right now? Any boxes that maybe I've put you in? 
Would you just shatter those compartments of my heart so that it's not broken up, but that you literally should be a part, an integral part of every single aspect of my life, whether it's my work life, my family life, my recreational life, my entertainment life, my religious life. I just ask you to pray that. Just, God, would you, would you just shatter anything that maybe I don't even recognize? And then maybe there's some of you guys that are, that are in here and, and you're not real familiar with the whole church thing and you're not really familiar with the whole Jesus, I, the idea of who Jesus is. And I would just simply tell you this. Every single person sitting here was born a sinner and separated from God because of the sin in their life. Nobody had to teach you to do wrong. But on the contrary, probably most of us, our parents and our, the, the people in our lives tried to spend as much time as they could teaching us to do right and it just didn't work. And because of that, we are eternally separated from God. And here's what I would tell you. Jesus came so that we could live forever. And in the process of doing so, the greatest opportunity we have in in that life is to bring glory to God and that's what he wants from us and because of that he came he was the only person to ever live a sinless and perfect life and he gave his life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty that you and I owed that's who Jesus is he is God who stepped out of heaven to pay the penalty for my sin for your sin and for the sin of anyone who would believe in him. And so I, what I just want to tell you this morning is that if that's you, there's nothing supernatural that has to take place. There's no great uh, prayer that you have to pray. You simply just need to acknowledge, and you can say something like this if you want. It can look totally different, but just, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm desperate apart from you. I trust you. I believe in you. I believe that you came to give life. I believe that you are the only bread of life, the only thing that can satisfy that insatiable hunger and thirst to be filled in my soul. And if that's you, we just just wanna rejoice with you. We We wanna, we're excited for you. And I would just tell you this, as we kind of move forward with this series and as we move into the Christmas season, and this may sound silly, but I, I, I mean, it, it, I think it's really something we have to be intentional about is to remember that Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. Don't put him in that box. He's not just some baby in a manger. So this, this just as we move forward, this is what I would love for you guys to take from this. There's a lot of people whose only understanding of Jesus is a baby in a manger. And you might be the only other person that they ever see or that they ever speak to who knows who Jesus really is. So I would just encourage you to be intentional in breaking Jesus out of those boxes. Be intentional in sharing his love with people that are far from him. Father, we thank you so much for today and just for giving us the opportunity to to gather in and just open your word. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts through your word this morning, God. I pray that you would just have your way with Westridge Church, God, that we would be about making disciples and reaching lost people. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.